and welcome back to another episode of the Super Mercado Bros Video Game Music Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. This is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. And boy, do we have an exciting episode today. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. Yeah, we can't overstate it enough. This is probably the uh, most excited I've been to record a podcast episode <laughs> in... God, I can't tell you how long. This is absolutely surreal here. Yeah, buckle up, you guys. Today's episode... <laughs> We are going to be focusing on the music of legendary video game composer, Tim Fallon. Now, that's already exciting enough, but we can't believe we're saying this. We were fortunate enough to interview Tim Fallon. I can't believe I just said those words. (laughs) Yeah, so you guys can definitely look forward to us sitting down and talking with Tim uh, later on in the episode. Uh, We had a wonderful conversation and it was so much fun and so rewarding and interesting to kind of get an inside look into how he created all of that legendary music all those years ago. Yeah. Um, And we just can't say enough about, you know, obviously what an incredible artist he is, but what a kind person, you know, he was so fun to talk to. Yeah. And yeah, really such a nice guy open um, with his whole process. So it's, I think you guys are really going to. Um, find that to be a real treat but I'm honestly equally as excited just to have an episode dedicated to this incredible music yeah Uh, what we're hearing playing in is a track from the game LED Storm this is the title theme Mm -hmm. Uh, and that game came out on the ZX Spectrum uh, which is an old computer system and what Again, it's kind of a running thing with the Fallens where it's like whatever platform they're working on, they make it sound so much more advanced. It's like light years ahead of what any other composer (laughs) is doing at the time. It's like without fail. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And so, guys, what we're going to do with this episode, uh, we're going to discuss a few pieces of music from Tim's career at the top and then we're going to go to that interview um which we're incredibly excited to to unveil to all of you guys and then at the very end we'll discuss a few more to round things out and and that's what we're going to be doing today so all right what you guys just heard was from led storm like will mentioned let's move to an example of his work on the nes this is from a soundtrack that means a lot to both will and myself it's it's such a classic soundtrack uh for so many reasons on the podcast it reminds me of a lot of fun memories we've had at Megfest. Uh, we mentioned to you guys the first time we went to Megfest, we did this Name That Tune game. Uh, and we, there's just such a great moment where Eric from Kirby's Dream Band heard the Silver Surfer music and he just jumped up and down <laughs> and, and screaming, Tim Fallon, Tim Fallon. And so, uh, so yeah, this is such an awesome soundtrack. It came out in 1990. This was composed by Tim Fallon uh, as well as his brother, Jeff Fallon. Let's take a listen to BGM1 from Silver Surfer. <laughs> Thank you. 
Oh my god. The NES is about to explode. You guys are listening to BGM1 <laughs> from Silver Surfer. Oh my god. Classic uh. Fallen. Uh, this is a game that was scored by the Fallen Brothers, Tim Fallen and Jeff Fallen. Oh my god, this is this is incredible. It sounds like nothing else that was ever done, not just on this system, but really on any any other classic video game system. It's just so impressive technically. There's so many different bells and whistles and like crazy effects that are happening on this track, but musically it really holds your interest and it kind of feels like yeah. there's this digital improvised solo that's happening throughout the whole thing, but right. it, it's just always engaging. It's Oh, it's so good. Well, there's such bold confidence in every aspect of the composition. I mean, all of the musical ideas uh, are so solid. Yeah. And Carl mentioned they are so soloistic and through composed. But they, it really, it structures itself like any great piece of music where it mm -hmm. keeps reaching to a higher and higher climax. And it does so much great stuff with really, you should say, orchestration, you know? I mean, this is the NES and there are only those three pitched voices. But how they choose to, to register this piece and, you know, when it's doubled with full unison, you know... It, there's that sound of the triangle in the low octaves and then the two squares slightly detuned and you get that chorus guitar sound and it sounds yeah. like the whole band is rocking out on that riff but then it constantly changes up then this little arpeggio comes in and mm -hmm. you know it's just one of the guitar tones and it it's so fantastic and it keeps reaching for a higher and higher apex both literally in terms of the the pitches <laughs> getting higher and higher but then he also does this crazy kind of instrument switching really rapidly um, yeah. on a single note so blah, 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 you know it's like this really kind of piercing plucky sound i mean yeah and it gets to a point um with this piece of music where it's it's actually music and sound effects all in one where you're hearing like this right. kind of like alarm ray gun sci-fi kind of explosion <laughs> happening which leads itself back to the loop how cool is that? All right, so we're gonna keep. Yeah, it's the, really. If I if I had to describe this music in one word, it's just badass. Absolutely I mean, badass. When I I showed this to my girlfriend, and she couldn't believe that this was on yeah. the NES. She's yeah. like, it sounds like a rock opera or something. Yeah, and I was just I like, was showing this to Joe the other day too, and she was like, "Are you sure that's the NES?" She's just like, "It sounds well, like I nothing." Often, I've ever heard. Carl, I don't know if you encounter this, but I feel like whenever we share good video game music with like mm -hmm. our family, and particularly my dad, he'll always say you know like oh that's too good for a game and i right. get a little insulted but the fallen brothers are the one time where i feel like yeah this actually is too good for yep. a video game like this <laughs> this deserves to be held on a pedestal above just like background video game music it's right. so genius yeah and we're gonna get into this a little bit in the interview and we can talk in more detail after the interview but uh after talking with tim it's one of the interesting things we found out is that he really was the wizard behind all this technical stuff he was the one who was so interested in programming Jeff really had no interest in that. So all of the kind of stuff you're hearing behind the scenes, uh, that was all Tim <laughs> to make to make this happen here. So so that's cool. All right, let's move on to one of our absolute favorite pieces of video game music. Very progressive, very expressive. Uh, it has so many different sections, <laughs> and the way that they fit together is, is very quirky, but uh, just undeniably fun. This is Beach from the SNES game Plock. Let's take a listen.
This is Beach from Plaque. You know, very standard beach music, right? Right. You know, <laughs> <laughs> things that we've heard so many times. No, 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 no. This is this is truly uh, a category in and of itself. It sounds like nothing else I've ever heard in a video game. Uh, it's it's so expressive and energetic and lively. Like when that when that breakdown comes in, and especially because I know I'm expecting the electric guitar to come in, I get so hyped and so excited. Uh, it's just like this crazy oh. combination of like oh, so jazz and electronic and folk and just rock. It's prog. It's yeah. There's so much that I love. Amazing. We start off with this seven eight groove, which mm -hmm. has this awesome kind of like I don't know, almost clave rhythm. Dun 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 yeah. dun dun dun. Kind of Latin. Dun, dun. Yeah, so funky and fresh. And then it goes into that like legitimate funk breakdown section. That's awesome. But then when that guitar comes in, it's just kind of riffing on top of that groove. But then we go into that and it goes back to seven and it feels so and then, yeah, good. You reintroduce that clave rhythm on top of it. I feel like the way that this loops back into the form it's so masterful because I can't think of another piece of video game music that has these different sections that completely change feel that way but the the moment of shock is not the returning to the loop point mm -hmm. it's actually like halfway into the form you know it's that first change of feel and it's kind of a brilliant thing because a lot of times in video game music um, oftentimes a clunky transition will be looping back to the top of the head but what they did so brilliantly here in this track is they actually reintroduce enough elements of that uh, that initial groove bit by bit so that yeah. when it returns it's like I, you don't even realize that the track is looped. It's so amazing. It's phenomenal. If I had to pick, this might be my favorite Tim Fallen composition. It's just, yeah. it sounds so good and so almost effortless. Like the best kind of music is music that is very impressive, but doesn't sound like it's trying to be. It sounds very right. effortless and natural. I know. That's, I don't know how. It's crazy. I, I, yeah. It just, it blows my mind because it doesn't feel like it's trying to show off. It doesn't feel like it's like, look at all these tricks I learned. It's like you're listening to some master who's been working on these tools for like 80 years. And it's just like, <laughs> it's amazing. And that, that guitar solo, that's legitimately like one of my favorite guitar solos oh, it's ever. So I mean, great. It's amazing. Okay, all right. We could gush about that all day. Maybe we should another day. So, <laughs> okay, we're going to play one more piece of music before we get to our interview uh, with Tim Fallon. Let's uh, play something from Treasure Master. Uh, this is also for the NES. Uh, obviously, Tim worked on a lot of different systems, started off on some computer systems. We'll, we'll get to that uh, in the interview, and also we'll maybe listen to some examples of that after the interview. But, um, Will, for you, it, it seems like his NES work might be some of your favorite of his career. I really love his 8-bit stuff um, because of all of the ingenuity that he displays that I, I mean first of all I think it's so influential to any of the modern chip tuners out there oh yeah uh, I mean so many of those techniques have been adopted and I think a lot of people were introduced to that kind of bold sense of yeah writing. when you think of that kind of classic European western chiptune style with a lot of arpeggios and a lot of flashy effects uh, Tim Fallon is definitely like the person who did that the best but I also think he, yeah he even still to this day with all of the amazing chiptuners and also the interface has has become much easier to use like the right. modern trackers I'm pretty sure are much simpler to use than the way that a lot of the old school um, 
composers had to implement their music. Right. And still, I don't think there's anyone who can really touch the Fallen Brothers. I mean, nope. Jake Kaufman has done some amazing work. And there's that, you know, that artificial intelligence bomb track that we played a couple of years ago mm-hmm. that was really impressive. But it's like, it's just crazy to me that, you know, that technology has been around for decades and people have been exploring every possible avenue that they can with it. And I think there's still some great ingenuity being oh, displayed yeah. by that community, but it's it's almost like Johann Sebastian Bach or something. It's like in the well-tempered clavier. It's like one of the first things exploring all the 12 keys. And, and in it some ways, it's still the best. And it's like, can't be all touched. Right. That's how I feel about, you know, Tim Fallen. I would agree. Let's take a listen to the title theme from Treasure Master. listening to the title theme from treasure master this is composed by tim fallen and this is music you can tell when you're listening to this this is music um whoever made this is having a lot of fun and and that translates to the listener it's kind of infectious it's so fun you can't not smile listening to this it's so groovy and jazzy and funky and again so much great solos and just really uh gnarly tones that he was able to get out of the nes sounds very expressive um and you forget that you're listening to an NES composition. It just feels like you're right. listening to great electronic rock music. Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, in every aspect of the composition, too. I mean, the implementation, the harmonies, the the, the free style of the very that free. it sounds improvised. But the rhythms, too. I mean, it, it doesn't have the... You know, oftentimes I think people think of computer music as being like square and rigid and to a grid. But Tim Fallon is able to kind of like push away from that. I mean, there's that one part with those triple rhythms that do, 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 and yeah. they feel so kind of like behind the beat in the most funky and groovy way. It's just like, there, yeah, it this doesn't is one of the feel like Tim Fallon. When you tracks. listen to this, it doesn't sound like there are limitations at all. You know, it's yeah. so comfortable and cool, and it's like it really is fighting against those limitations in every possible way. It's like it, Carl joked before, but it's almost like the NES is going to explode. He's he's stretching, <laughs> pushing it to its you limits. know that ship to its absolute yeah, its absolute limits. But it doesn't have. It's not like a little kid, you know, flailing their arms in the background. It's like mm-hmm. it's like the confidence of someone who just like doesn't even give a. Shit. It's so <laughs> awesome. All right, guys, we could not be more excited. I can't believe I'm about to say to say these words again, but it is now time for our interview with the one and only Tim Fallon.
We are very excited to be joined today by legendary video game composer and all-around media guru, Tim Fallon. Tim, thanks so much for joining us today. It's lovely to be here. So we just kind of want to dive into this. We're, we're so lucky and fortunate to be able to talk with you today. Uh, the first thing we wanted to touch on is about your origin. When was it that you, and I guess your brother Jeff as well, when was it that both of you realized that you wanted to compose your own music and that that was something that you could get paid to do? Well, in my case, it was uh, a kind of shock to realize that you could do that for a living, to be honest, um, because I started off sort of at 14, 15, tinkering with a a ZX Spectrum, which is our Mm -hmm. um, British, you know, the cheapest computer, basically. It was one of those... um, (laughs) It was great because it, you know, it was it was didn't matter how much cash you had, you could probably afford a Spectrum. You know, it was uh, really sure. a cheap thing, but it was also a great experimental uh, tool, really. You know, yeah. So I sort of sat there and tinkered with it for a few years, probably. Uh, be- and at the same time, my older brother Mike was programming, and he just sort of, well, he flunked out of university. Actually, he kind of was doing a chemistry degree and uh, just gave mm. it up and thought, I'm, I, you know, this isn't for me. I want to do computers, sort of thing. The classic programming backup plan. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah, not that not that he was ever going to be a chemist, but there you go. <laughs> um, so he um, he was into that, and he kind of was the first in the house to get a Spectrum. And as soon as I saw that, I thought, that's that's for me. That's what I need to be doing. Yeah. Um, and I started tinkering even with um, with the spectrum, trying to make it make different sounds, um, like you know, programming. But basically, all programming. Well, music was not really the objective at that point. It was just about mm. programming and making sounds, you know. So it was kind of I, I had music running sort of parallel at, this, at, at that time. Um, I when I left school, I did a year of music college, um, but realised that wasn't really what I was going to be doing really not the, not the particular type of uh, <laughs> college that I was at to be honest it was kind of jazz based and it was very oh it was kind of I think it was called there was either a light music course or a jazz course or something I don't know God knows what the light music course was <laughs> but <laughs> I just kind of realized earlier on it wasn't really going to be whatever it was it wasn't for me sort of thing right. uh, so but around the time that that was kind of I was you know, realizing that um, my brother Mike had got a job at Software Creations, and mm. um, that was kind of, you know, I, I remember asking, you know, are there any jobs going, you know, for programmers or whatever there? And he said, well, actually, you can do, you know, a sound design uh, vacancy sort of thing. Um, right. You, you can go for that. Um, so I, I remember walking in to uh, Richard Kay's office, who owned the business, and. Uh, as he used to tell me, I put my feet on the desk, apparently. I don't remember doing this, right? <laughs> and uh, he said, okay, do you want a job? And that it was just a bizarre... You know, I didn't think it was real, really. You know, I didn't think this was a right. real thing that you could do, but uh, um, it turned out it was. Well, that also kind of leads me into something else, and, and um, we've been chatting a little bit uh, before this, but the sense that people all around the world are still enjoying your music and still so inspired by it, I can't imagine that was anything that that you had in your brain at that time or no. could even fathom that? No, not at all. Um, I mean, still. <laughs> still not in my brain, to be honest. Um, it's still <laughs> hard to fathom because it, it was such a sort of accidental route in for me. You know, it was kind hmm. of... It, it, you know, you've got to think that video game music wasn't even a thing that people did at that point. You know, it wasn't a career right. option, you know, so it wasn't really... I, I didn't really think, 
I need to get into writing video game music, you know. Right. The closest, I, the closest I got to that was thinking I'd like to be involved in video games somehow, you know. Um, so, so that was it, really. It was more, more a case of, you know, I want to just be doing something involving computers rather than music specifically, you know. Sure. Well, I mean, I'm really curious, and I know Carl is as well, because as brothers ourselves who frequently work together on music and, you know, this podcast for a number of years, we're both really fascinated with the creative bond that brothers share. When did you begin collaborating with Jeff, and how did your collaboration work? Um, it, it kind of, what happened was Jeff was, um, again, at university, um, he had done a um, agricultural degree, I think. It was something completely different. Oh, really? Yeah, it was kind of... Um, he sort of finished the course, and he had got a job working for the Potato Marketing Board right, in Britain. Yes! <laughs> That's Are you taking pinnacle. notes, kids? This is yeah, the fast track This is, the path. This is how you composer. do it. This is how you get in. Uh, potato Marketing Board. So he, he, um, his first job he was walking around fields with one of those wheels on a stick measuring the, the perimeter of the fields, you know, um, um, yeah, I mean, we've all done that. Well, yeah, I mean, that's just all part of growing up. Uh, <laughs> but basically, he, um, he at the time I was working at Suffolk Creations, and he kind of, I remember him saying, he kind of dawned on him that I was just having fun at Suffolk Creations, you know, making music. Um, mm-hmm. And he was walking around a field with a stick. So um, he kind of, I said, well, look, I can probably get you a job doing this because, you, you know, you'll find this pretty easy to do, I would have thought. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of knew instinctively that we'd have the same sort of understanding of it um even yeah. though the thing is jeff had no background whatsoever in computers he wasn't interested at all oh wow um so he for him it was kind of just he was interested in music you know so he came at it pretty much from a, a musical point of view and i came at it from a technical point of view so from a, a technical perspective i basically just tutored him on how to make sounds how to you know make it work basically and what to do and the different techniques you used um and so he basically went away and used the soft, uh, the music driver that I'd had written. He picked it up pretty much straight away and just uh, started composing, you know. So we didn't really... We collaborated, I would have thought, on a few tunes now and again. He would, we would sort mm-hmm. of suggest, you know, because the way you wrote, well, the way we wrote at the time was very linear, you know, so you'd write something, you'd get it working, and then you'd think, all right, what do we do next? And then you'd write another bit. Right. You know, and you can hear that if you listen to music. <laughs> it's basically, we're just making it up as we go along, literally. Well, yeah, I think that is something that people respond to about your music is, is the sense of spontaneity and the sense of yeah. excitement. It's almost like you guys are just taking a solo and you don't really know where the music's going to go. No. And it's definitely a nice <laughs> contrast to a lot of other video game music, which might be a little bit more predictable. Yeah, but the thing is, I remember learning that later on, and I thought, I'm going to do it properly now. I'm going to organise this this music, you know, and kind of have mm-hmm. a proper middle, middle, beginning and end sort of thing that wraps up and everything. And it was just boring, you know. I remember the, <laughs> getting the feedback from the guy and saying, yeah, it's, it's nice, but it's kind of boring. And right. I was thinking, yeah, you're right, yeah, this is boring. Um, well, that's something that no one could ever describe about your music, is that it is <laughs> boring. And the thing that is great about it is even though it has these various sections because it is game music, for yeah. instance, you know, one of my favorite examples of kind of this changing section that ultimately loops back into itself is in the game Plock. There's oh, yeah. the um, the beach the music. Beach. And eventually it has this like alternate section that gets like really funky and almost has mm. a slower tempo. But I just love the way 
that it loops back into the top of the form, you know, because right. it's able to do these different sections, but then it's able to kind of come back around and it all feels really natural and exciting. I think, I think. I, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe I got lucky with that one, to be honest. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, it, was, it was always linear. I don't think I planned anything, but what I used to like the fact that I didn't know what to do next. And if it had to mm. loop, I then had to come up with a way of looping back. And it's, you know, yeah. it's sort of necessity uh, being the mother of invention sometimes, isn't it? You kind of. Well, we talk about that so much on the podcast that harsh limitations really does foster creativity. And if yeah. it wasn't for those harsh limitations, I, I don't think we would have had so much wonderful music that we had back then. It's absolutely true. And I think, I've, uh, you know, when the 8 bit, eight bit era sort of came to an end, I really floundered because I didn't really want, mm. you know, I didn't find writing red book you know real music um I, I just didn't want to do it you know i, I wasn't it wasn't sure. something that i was not you know I, I was kind of you know i'd write things personally myself just to, as a relaxation i guess you know and in, in the background something when i was doing 8-bit music i used to write you know we had a four track recorder at the time and you know we used to do um recordings and stuff and mess around mm -hmm. with things but we, it was never anything that was kind of i didn't want to do that for a living you know i didn't i don't know i it just didn't feel like it was something I could do on demand that. Well, it kind of reminds me of another conversation we've had with, uh, I think it was, uh, I think it was also another British game composer. It might've been Matt Furness, Will, if you, if you can recall, but right. he was talking about that. He was also kind of programming was his way in. And yeah. once it got to a point where there wasn't that challenge and there wasn't that sense of like almost putting the puzzle pieces together, yeah. it kind of, that, that lost a lot of excitement for him. So I imagine it was similar for you. Definitely. Yeah, it was, it was, it was also the fact that that's, that's your thing, you know. I mean, there's lots of anyone can write. Well, not anyone, but you know, there are lots of musicians out there writing music and doing it. You know, that's what they've done all the time. I was at music college with lots of them. You know, they were kind of proficient, very, very proficient, and very, very talented people who could do that. You know, right. but it wasn't game music that they were doing. Um, yeah. And so there was that thing of you know, as soon as the game, the eight bit thing finished, it was kind of that, yeah, that collaboration between programming and. Uh, music was it was gone you know that was it sort of thing so um even though i stayed in the industry for quite a few years after that i i, I think i wanted to get out from the moment that happened to be honest yeah. well and tim it makes so much sense actually hearing you say that because we've played your music on our podcast for years and one of the things that we've always celebrated about it is it doesn't, you know, so much video game music requires imagination. You kind of yeah. need to, you hear these primitive sounds and you kind of have to really use your imagination to sort of think, oh, what would this be? Would this be yeah. kind of like a guitar and a bass? And oh, isn't that cute? But with the music that you were able to create on the NES, it's so bold and stylistic and it's, you don't really have to use your imagination in the same way. When I'm listening to a piece of music from, say, like Silver Surfer, yeah. it sounds so advanced and sophisticated and really there's these amazing sounds that you're able to get out of that primitive sound chip that when I'm listening to it I don't really want to hear guitars I don't want to hear you know a different altered version like it sounds as good as it would ever need to and that's a distinct quality I think that your music has and is why so many people really resonate with it to this day you're here well it's, it's, it's really you know it's it's Strange and great to, to, you know, people, your sort of perception of it now, you know, and, and to, to hear you say that because it's kind of, yeah, um, I, I did, you know, my inspiration at the time was kind of real, you know, I used to try and approach it from a point of view of 
an instrumentalist playing it, or you know, yeah. a, this would be a, a, um, a flautist, or this would be a guitarist, or whatever. Right. But at the same time, it was it was kind of very obvious that it's not that it is its own thing, you know. And so you can take that inspiration, uh, but I, I didn't, I didn't um, stress about it not sounding real in quotes you know or not sounding right. like the instrument I was because to me it was kind of it, it was its own thing uh, you know so I still think of like you know the Commodore 64 or those those sound chips as instruments you know that's they are actually instruments themselves right. so it's it's kind of meaningless to sort of call them you know to try and make them emulate a different instrument when that's what exactly. they are exactly you know? but you can take having said that you can take the you know the thinking behind various instruments you know and, and kind of transcribe that into it and it's not so much that you want them like I say to sound like the instruments it's just the thinking behind how you go about playing those instruments you know well yeah I mean it's if you take an example like your work on Ghouls and Ghosts the intro to that how it, it just really screams Jethro Tull to, to not just me <laughs> but I think a lot of people uh, have have found that comparison yeah. and to me <laughs> the way that you get uh, something that sounds like like a flute so it, it's clear that that was maybe one of your goals at the time was how can I get close to, to the vibe of this music that I love yeah. uh, were there any other goals that you had when creating video game music back then not really. Um, Girls and Ghosts is kind of an exception in that respect because that was more deliberate, you know, a kind of a, more of a stylistic choice because, mm. you know, I wanted to do something that moved away from the kind of very synthy arpeggiated sort of thing that, you know, I was doing a lot of at that time. Right. Uh, and ju- just try and do something different. And so it was more of a conscious decision to do that with uh, that particular one. But. Um, for the, the other stuff, no, it was really, in a way, the other stuff is more specific to the chip, you know, to the chip music, I think, uh, than Girls and Ghosts, because I was just thinking, what sounds good on this this synthesizer, essentially, you know, what... Mm-hmm. I mean, that, when people first heard the Mini Moog, or they first heard, you know, whatever instrument it was, you you know, when you hear something fresh, you think, well, that's a really interesting sound. So, and you just, exp- it's really just a uh, big experimental thing with sound. You know, you're just experimenting with sounds sort of thing. Yeah. And that's how I approached it. You know, it was kind of not really trying to make it anything particular or it wasn't, the inspiration wasn't coming from anywhere particular apart from, obviously, I was listening to, you know, as you know, you know, prog rock and uh, various right. instruments. But, you know, I wasn't trying to emulate that particularly. It was just that that was, that was what I was into and that was how my mind worked at that point, you know. Um, what were some of the biggest prog rock bands that you were into before you started and while you were working in video games? Oh, um first prog rock I, I, I don't know if you could call ELO a prog rock band actually I mean that was the first band that I was properly into but that was when I was sort of seven or eight okay um, do you know ELO it's, it's getting there it's getting there yeah uh, oh yeah uh, it, it is isn't it it's sort of out of the blues kind of borderline prog rock in places mm-hmm. isn't it? but then um, probably when I was 12 or 13 I discovered Genesis uh, <laughs> that was the, you know early Genesis oh stuff. yeah so that was kind of that took over for quite a few years uh, the Genesis thing but at the same time you know, I had uh, someone introduce me to Jethro Tull, and that folk side of it was really, you know, that really appealed mm. to me. Um, so I was listening to sort of folk, probably in my, I'm trying to think, probably around that period, yeah, I was listening to um, that kind of thing, a mix of folk and prog rock. And obviously, yes, I grew up listening to yes as well, so they were a, a big influence. That's awesome. Yeah, I definitely hear that a lot. Yeah. I hear a lot of yes influence in your music as well, so that's great to hear. Well, the intro to Solstice is just ripped completely from uh, the opening of... <laughs> <laughs> um, 
What is it? Starship Star Trooper, I think, from Yes. Yeah, it's just the complete lift. Because we saw it live, and I, um, we went to see them live in uh, London. And uh, I remember thinking, I like that intro where he kind of did this really quiet intro, and then it kind of kicked in with this big thing. And that's all Sol- uh, Solstice was, the intro music. It was just... That's so awesome. And I think one thing that I really love about that is, in some ways, you're... And I don't know if you thought about this at all, but you're introducing a whole other generation to that kind of music. Like, yeah. you imagine a nine-year-old kid playing that game and hearing that yeah. and for the first time being introduced to that musical world it, it's really cool well that's the thing is because i mean in a way i was uh, you know i was kind of 15 in you know mid 80s wasn't i so you know it was already in the past for me at that point you know certainly i was listening right. to early genesis that was from the early 70s you know i wasn't um you know conscious at that point you know what i mean to listen to, to so i only got into uh, those things when i was in my teens so it was already i already had the sense of this is from, you know, this is out of date, essentially. This is from the past. Uh, sure. You know, so, Tim, another thing that whenever we've played your music on our podcast, sort of a rule of thumb or almost like just a running gag between Carl and I is whatever platform you're working on, whatever console a Tim Fallen track uh, comes on, it, it always sounds like so much more advanced than what anyone else was doing, almost regardless <laughs> of the platform. It's it's so astounding to both of us. But I'm curious to you, what platform did you find to be the most creatively rewarding to work on? Um, I I kind of flip between Commodore the 64 and the SNES, actually, because I think this, oh. the SNES was kind of just a really nice kind of mix of you know because the the thing is it might not be all that ob- obvious unless you've used you've actually programmed the snes but the even though it had sample playback it was so limited it was kind of you know it was its own limitation as well sort of thing so For it sure. didn't feel like you know it it was nice to have that kind of what can we get out of this machine thing again you know so it was, it was, i still see that as a sort of 8-bit thing really you know well i mean just the incredible limitation in size that you had to work with yeah yeah, the sample size was kind of crazy small, wasn't it? It was, um, I can't remember how many, it was, I can't remember what the meg was, but it was it was tiny, yeah, it was a tiny amount. I don't think it was meg, actually. It might not have even been meg, it might have been K. Something K, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was, it was uh, you know, it was kind of, that was still that the challenge of what we could do with it, you know, what I could do with it. I mean, that was, that was, mm-hmm. that was my uh, thing. But, I mean, I don't know, it's, they've all got their own thing, haven't they? I think, um, it's, yeah, the 64 still because of the sounds you could make on the 64. Um, but mm. I, I kind of like the NES as well, the NES. Um, difficult to say, really. Uh, definitely not the Amiga and the AY, I'll put it that way. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the AY chip was just a nightmare. I hated that. So I'm also curious, as someone who's uh, done a little bit of experimenting with chiptune stuff myself, yeah. have you ever played around with any like modern trackers, things like FamiTracker, anything like that? Because I'm just so curious <laughs> what your interface was like when you were, say, working on the NES. Well, my this is the thing. My, my interface was was a development of the music driver that I coded myself when I was sort of 14 or something, really, um, for the Spectrum. Wow. So it, it never really evolved that much, really, from that. Um, early on, I was when I first started programming the Spectrum, I remember basically coding assembly language. Um, you know, it was kind of just coding the sounds. And the music was just a list of numbers. So it was actually frequency and duration pairs. That's all it was. Hmm. Um, and I had to remember the frequencies as well. <laughs> so it was kind of, wow. you know, it was just the, the number was the pitch, you know. Um, so uh, 
just because I, I didn't know how to convert text. You know, I didn't how. Well, it was partly that, and partly as you went higher up the. You know, if you played too many higher notes together, the overall pitch would drop, so you'd have to alter the frequency slightly to make that still sound in, in tune, you know, so it was a very manual sort of process. Wow. But that kind of process of number pairs, um, I just took with me to the Commodore 64, so all of that Commodore 64 stuff was um, programmed in straight into an assembler with um, in, in pairs of numbers, basically. Uh, so I was typing in, you know, by that point, it, the, the num- first number would be the actual note you know but it wouldn't be a note i wouldn't type in c or whatever i would type in 100 or something right and then um (laughs) it would be you know the duration would be in terms of cycles per second you know so it was 60 or 50 according to would this all be existing in your mind did you just have to remember the frequencies or would you write them down Um, so that you would know like in in the spectrum case yeah i just remember them uh i mean in in when i was doing commodore 64 onwards um you you know the pitches were just notes so 100 would be whatever a or something you know and i just i'd think chromatically from that so mm-hmm. um you know as jeff will remember doing this as well uh, my brother he was we'd know you know if you want to go up a fifth you go up seven semitones so you add seven so it's yeah. seven you know and it's <laughs> so you, everything we did was thinking in terms of of chromatics you know and just doing the maths um the simple maths you know um from that chromatic point of view so i never knew what key i was writing in and it, but it did mean that I could change key and not really notice. It was just, you know, it wasn't suddenly I was in a different key. It was more now we're just, instead of 100 now being a bass, it's 104 or something, you know, and we've gone up right. and you just, you just carry on doing the maths, you know. But it, it, it was non, it was so, in a way, non-musical in that respect. You know, it didn't, we didn't conform to any kind of um, even musical notes you know we didn't even talk about notes we just talked about pitches and uh, chromatic intervals and things you know so <laughs> and, and then when you listen to the finished product it almost makes it even more impressive when you think about how it was made because a finished product seems so musical and like we said before seems so spontaneous and almost like it's being performed on the sound chip and to think that it couldn't be further from that well there's a level of almost like i defy you to figure out how we made this because it's (laughs) yeah it's like it's this immaculate machine and there's so many moving parts and everything and it's unlike any other kind of music it's such a distinct style it's right yeah that's crazy to think about i i never in a million years could have imagined that that was your process that you were doing math and figuring out numbers (laughs) like that for pitches that's even more difficult than other experiences i've heard from composers programming the thing is you know you kind of you you can look at it that way and you think oh that's because but the thing is it's a bit like you know if you think in dollars then if you go to a different country you you convert that in your head back to dollars because you know dollars, you right. know? But it's kind of, for us... That's true. We got into the habit of, we knew the numbers, you know? And to convert that back into into keys and notes would have been just as yeah, difficult. It's just another you know? system. It's just a different system, yeah. And, huh, but it was, that's really interesting. But it was kind of a liberating system because it was crum- purely chromatic then. You didn't think at all in terms of where you were, in terms of, you know, where's your bass note and where's, uh, where's your root uh, key and things like that. You know, it was just literally off at a tangent wherever it was chromatically going, you know, so. Nice to, to give a little bit more freedom so you're not always going to be diatonic too. I imagine yeah. that, that helped with, with some of your, you know, modulations and your sense of freedom there tonally. 
I think it probably did, you know, I think it probably changed the way we wrote just because of that, yeah, just purely for technical reasons, yeah. Well, I'm really fascinated. It, it seemed to be, for us, look, looking through your career, in the mid-90s, it seemed like you had your fair share, or maybe unfair share, of games <laughs> that you worked on uh, that got cancelled. Particularly, uh, you know, we think about things such as Time Tracks, uh, which we have heard before that 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 soundtrack is available online, but other things like Firearm and Moto X. It seemed like in, in the series of a couple of years, you had some games that got canceled. Do you re- do you recall your time working on those games and yeah. what the experience was like writing the music and maybe what it felt like to to have those games canceled? Um, in the case, I mean, the games that I can remember being canceled were all Malibu, which was right after we yeah after we we left uh, Suffolk Creations. I remember I was more gutted about time tracks being cancelled than anything because I did put quite a lot of effort into that one. Um, and I by the way, amazing, amazing work oh, on that. <laughs> well, the thing is that was that was really the last eight bit stuff I did, you know, ever. Um, I didn't. I can't think. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was the last eight bit. It was the last stuff that I did with a music driver, you know. Um, right. And I really enjoyed it. And I remember thinking it was annoying because we at Software Creations they didn't develop any. Um, uh, Sega games at all, you know, so yeah. it was kind of a, a novel thing to do. Um, and I really enjoyed it, and I remember thinking, oh, I wish I'd been doing this, you know, more of this sort of thing, and now it's it's finishing, and that's the end of it, you know, and I've kind of missed that. Well, I mean, Tim Fallon on the FM synth Mega Drive is just a match made in heaven. <laughs> it didn't happen, unfortunately. Well, it happened briefly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's is, this is a great thing about having this this stuff available now is people are enjoying this music all around the world now, even if the game was never released. Yeah. And so because video game music is becoming more, you know, eventually going from a niche thing to almost a uh, quasi-mainstream thing now, and there's so many people around the world enjoying this music, uh, it's 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 really great that that work wasn't lost forever. I know, it's, and it, it was, you know, I, I remember Time Tracks in the would have been late 90s or something like that. I remember mm-hmm. thinking, you know, having not heard it since I'd composed it, I remember looking for it somewhere and thinking, what did that, what did I, you know, because I, I genuinely wanted to know what I'd done because I didn't remember it at all. Um, and right. and it didn't exist. You know, I remember Richard Jakes, actually, I, mm-hmm. I did when I was doing um, Echo the Dolphin with um, Sega at the time, I met yeah. Richard Jakes. And Richard Jakes managed to get, he said he, he knew someone who had some recordings of it, you know, and he got, got hold of some recordings. Oh. But it was kind of really, it wasn't really a thing then, you know, it was kind of... Um, you know, no one knew about it at all. It was just happened to be someone had some old recordings. Well, at some point in the early 2000s, uh, someone got their hands on the ROM, and so it's, it's yeah. available now. The actual files are, are, you know, people are enjoying it all over the place. So that's 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 wonderful. It is amazing. Uh, you know, you know, you you spoke a little bit about Echo the Dolphin. I'm really curious about that point in your career. It seemed like it could have been a turning point for you. Obviously, a new system, an exciting system at the time. Yeah. It really that that score of Echo the Dolphin, Defender of the Future, is so relaxing and atmospheric, but just very different from anything else you had scored. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with that game? Yeah, I mean, it was kind of um, it. It was. It came out of the blue. Dave Nolte, who was the producer on that, um, knew me as all the jobs I got uh, towards the end. It was just producers that knew me from the 8-bit days, you know, um, got in touch with me and said, would you like to do this uh, thing? And at the time, I was really... um, I didn't know what to do. I wasn't really... I'd more or less given up on doing music, you know. I was was Hmm. trying out other things. Um, And he, you know, I saw the game. um, He sort of said obviously it was quite an iconic original score um for on the Sega, you know the uh, genesis wasn't it right 
he told me about that and I kind of listened to that and thought, well, I don't know how to compete with this really because this is sort of, you know, I'll have to just do something myself here. Um, and at the time I was kind of listening to more um, John Adams, uh, minimalist composer, you know. Um, oh, yeah. Um, that kind of thing. I'd kind of, you know, it was just something I was into at the time. And I remember thinking, well, I could probably do something completely different now and do this sort of very minimalist uh, score thing, you know, and just just basically disglorified atmospherics, you know, <laughs> you know sort of yeah. sound effects and things. Um, and do a bit of singing, a bit of choral kind of stuff on it. Um, well, how common, it's funny, how common is that now? It, that's what almost everyone is doing now yeah. in film and in video games. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's strange. It's, I always seem to miss these things. They seem to happen just at the wrong time. <laughs> I, seem to, <laughs> I seem to be either too early or too late on it. Uh, but... It was interesting to do. It took me a long time to do it, though, because, and I think in hindsight, it was probably probably because um, I really just felt that, you know, I, I did some early pieces, and I was quite happy with some of the early pieces, but then, it, of course, you, you know, by that time, it was getting to the point where you had to just write lots and lots and lots of music, you know. Um, and right. And I, I started to realise that I just, I just can't do that, you know. I can churn stuff mm-hmm. out. Um, I can write short, fast pieces, and I can write, a few, you know, quite a few of them, but... Just the amount of music that modern games, well, at that point anyway, that games were requiring, you know, I just thought this is just, I can't really just churn out that amount of volume of music, you know. Right. So I really struggled to just come up with the, enough music on that, really. Well, I think it's it's so crazy to think that for all three of the Fallen Brothers, that your time in the video game industry was in some ways just like another job in the course of you finding your ultimate career path. Yeah. And perhaps maybe, you know, the three of you think of it that way. <laughs> but for so many people around the world, your music really stands the test of time. And it it's so, so vital and still talked about to this day. It's inspiring composers and um, fans of video game music and it's become something really of legend i imagine that you know not only did that never cross your mind all those years ago but now you know hopefully maybe you've had a little bit of exposure to uh some of the love just from people around the world how does that feel you know all these years later it it is it's kind of bizarre you know because it's kind of like you say it was kind of me more than Jeff. I think Jeff was very much kind of, it was very much a job that he was doing, you know, and mm-hmm. he moved on. As soon as that finished, he just moved on and did something else. You know, he went into teaching, actually. But um, I was, you know, I, I did, you know, I did put, I did enjoy doing it. And, and I remember th- putting a lot into it, but I didn't really think that anyone else would appreciate it. You know, I didn't really think that that mm. was, I, I was just doing a job in the respect of, I was providing a service, you know, I was providing some right. some music for these games that needed music, you know, and sound. Um, so, and and the, that fact also that, you know, they none of the people I worked with particularly, even though they were kind of, I remember them talking about the music and saying, oh yeah, I like that piece or I like, you know, whatever. Certainly early on, it was kind of, it wasn't really a thing. I, I don't know, you know, it wasn't really kind of something that people would really sort of, say this is a really important part of what you're doing you know what I mean it was kind of tacked on afterwards really the music you know it wasn't really a a major part of it right Um, and also I didn't have at that time because game music wasn't a thing you know it wasn't certainly wasn't in the mainstream nobody outside you know a very small handful of people even got 
what it was you know didn't they didn't even hmm. most people wouldn't even re- identify it as music you know they'd identify it as sort of some sort of to them it might as well have been i don't know something coming out of a, a watch or something <laughs> i mean something that might as well have just been a glorified alarm or something you know it, it didn't really yeah. they didn't even see it as music and so right. so from point of view of composing it even though obviously i was kind of into it you know it was very much in my own head you know um and i didn't really expect anybody else to really appreciate it you know because i was just making stuff that i um i enjoyed listening to you know i enjoyed making those sounds you know um and experimenting with uh different things but you know um that's that's it's strange to think now that it's it's it has taken this long hasn't it but it's kind of like you say it's it's becoming more of a thing now and it's it's uh yeah i I find it really strange to be honest well it's so interesting because you know so much video game music from that era uh we really feel like we you know we want to advocate for it and a lot of the rich musical qualities that it shares but i do feel that there is this special thing about your music that it it doesn't need that sort of lip service. Like I think it transcends the platform and transcends the technology. I mean, some of the music, I does this like I remember the first time the I can't remember, but that track in Silver Surfer that goes like. I've never heard anything like that in video games. It's so confident. It's kind of like, it's just messing with your expectations in such a way. And it's, I don't know, it doesn't even sound like synths. And it's so advanced sounding. There's just nothing else like that. I, I It's interesting to hear you talk about, you know, video game music being viewed as like a glorified alarm clock. Because I totally think a lot of people would have that opinion about it. But... I really can't imagine those same people listening to your music and being dismissive in the same way because it's in a league of its own. I think. Oh, that's nice of you to say. I mean, I, obviously, I, I, you know, it's it's that kind of stuff was. I mean, you said you know it's confident, but it was kind of um, it was a blind, certainly a very blind confidence. You know, it wasn't certainly mm. um, an arrogant thing. You know, I wasn't sort of doing this stuff thinking you know everyone will get my music you know it was exactly the opposite you know I really thought this is I might as well just do whatever I I want to do here because no one's going to get it anyway you know it doesn't really matter um (laughs) that's amazing yeah yeah. listening to that music if 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 nobody knew they would assume it comes from this wizard who yeah it's just the level of confidence that you hear in the finished product is just off the charts <laughs> right well, and rhythmically too there's so much stuff that i imagine was really difficult to implement i mean so many like cool mixed meter things and i mean not to go back to that uh plock example mm. but there's that there's this guitar solo in it that's just yeah. the most nasty thing yeah Definitely like, a lot of cool like seven oh, eight yeah. sections in that. Yeah, I remember doing that. That was a, that was a bit of a Queen inspiration. That one, I think. <laughs> There's a bit of yeah. a, a bit of Brian May in that. Um, yeah, I mean, you're saying it's kind of you know a bit wild sort of thing. I mean, it obviously is quite wild a lot of it, but um, it just comes from that. Really, it really was to me. It wasn't. You know, I didn't think I'm going to impress people with this because if I, I think if I'd thought at any point I'll make something that will impress people. 
you know, mm-hmm. um, I would have just gone off on a completely different tangent. I certainly wouldn't have been incorporating 70s references and things like that, you know. Stick, <laughs> right. I mean, that same plot tune, I think, is that one or the beach? I can't remember. It's got, it was basically Stevie Wonder, you know, some of that. Um, there were things in there that I just I'd put in there for, for my own amusement, essentially, mm. you know. And, uh, yeah, I didn't think anyone would really uh, get it. So it's quite a shock, really, to find out that people... Well, yeah, it's, it's just so funny because a lot of... Uh, especially younger players that were experiencing that at the time, they probably never heard Queen. They probably never yeah. heard these these original inspirations. And so they're just listening to this to this music on its own and uh, just appreciating it as that. And so yeah. it, it's it's very fascinating. You know, I find I find your career arc very fascinating. Um, and for you, it seems like you, you always come back to, to the world of media, to the world of entertainment, and you wear so many different hats yeah. and seem to really <laughs> embrace all of them. So in your ideal field, future, uh, would you continue to keep working in many different facets of media, or is there one in particular that you are the most passionate about? No, um, I think I think you've you've said it there. I think I, I'm just I don't know really. I kind of I seem to be drawn to creating things, you know, like making worlds or whatever it is you know to mm. me it's all been it's always been about atmosphere to be honest um yeah it's you know that was listening in my first experience of listening to music was to me it was a definite you know an atmosphere a, a piece of music would have a definite physical place it was almost kind of like i was listening to a another dimension (laughs) to me it was kind of like this is a place that exists you know certainly listening to like yes I remember getting into that and thinking this is like I want to go and visit this place you know this is a real so it was very tangible that atmosphere to me Mm. Um, and all of I think all ever you know all the things that I've ever done have been kind of just trying to create those those atmospheres really you know from in different ways you know and, and that's when I say atmosphere you know kind of just that could be just a, a general feel of something you know um, certainly that's what it was with um, a lot of the 8-bit music you know <laughs> um, but then again sometimes it's it's you know um, like the most me- recent media things I've been doing this uh, game and stuff it, it just comes from an idea of having a particular a feeling for a particular thing or atmosphere and, and trying to create it you know and that, that's true across media you know it doesn't really matter whether it's music or anything else it's just uh, a sort of uh, a kind of nervous tick I have I think it just makes me want to want to do things uh, you know create things well that's so wonderful do you, do you want to talk a little bit about your your most recent foray back into games with with the game contradiction that you were seems like heavily involved in the uh, many different aspects of this game um, well, it was my, it was kind of my idea. It didn't really exist um, as a thing. It started out as an um, uh, audio adventure game that mm. was something that Jeff and I um, came up with in the 90s. It was quite a long time ago. And, um, oh, wow. We, yeah, we kind of never did anything with it. We kind of had this idea of um, developing it um, at the time. But the technology really didn't exist then uh, to do it. And so we kind of shelved it. Um, and then... When I remember the, seeing the iPad and thinking, that's kind of, you could do that game, you know, that video game. Sure. Thing. Um, so that's where that came from. Basically, I, what, what I did was I kind of thought, well, I'll make a demo of this and see if it works. So I got, um, I wrote what turned out to be quite a long demo, um, scripted or structured it sort of thing, which took me probably six months to do, just in my spare time. Wow. And, um, so uh, ended up with a kind of um, a script that I could turn into something um, and then I contacted um, an actor friend that I had 
uh, I knew and uh, said would you like to just do a little um, would you like to be involved in this basically and uh, mm-hmm. he came along and did a little teaser video for me and then he helped get the cast together because he knew lots of different actors and he kind of, so he kind of said well why don't you do it you know let's do it next week sort of thing let's get everyone together and just push it uh, and then once it was shot obviously I had to put it together <laughs> so it's kind of um, <laughs> took me probably a year to put it together after we'd shot it to be honest um but it was. I still thought of it as a demo, you know, right, right until it being published. I still do, to be honest, because it's full of holes and full of plot gaps and things. Because you know, it wasn't really intended to be a, a completed game. But hmm. uh, in the end, we had it, it. There was enough there to to publish publish it, you know. And it kind of uh, it seems to have done pretty pretty well actually, which is a complete shock because it was. As I say, I didn't expect anyone to even notice it existed, you know. But uh, it seems to have got a bit of attention on Giant Bomb, I think, and <laughs> that kind of thing. So. Well, it's definitely exciting for for Tim Fallon fans to hear that. Oh, you know, he's he's coming back to the industry in some way, shape, or form. Is that something that you uh, could see yourself uh, going back to in the future, like making more games or composing more music, or what do you think? Well, I've got uh, another game in the pipeline right now um, mm. that is hopefully it's now. This is it's, I don't know what people are going to think of this game. It's crazy. It's another FMV <laughs> based type of game because I, I kind of went into. Um, you know the career I sort of jumped to after music was um, TV advertising and filmmaking. So. Right. Uh, so I kind of I had these aspirations to make short films and things, and I did a few of those and uh, won a competition in Manchester short film competition. And Great. from that, I got offered a job. Um, I got a, uh, this advertising company in Manchester gave me a job, um, and so I started doing that. And I'm kind of have been doing that for the last decade, to be honest, uh, since that happened. But just in the last, yeah, three, four years, I've been sort of, since Contradiction came about, you know, I've kind of, I'm starting to meet, uh, branch off into doing that again now. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely, definitely sort of seem to be heading towards the games thing again at the moment. So I don't know. That's great. I, I have a very candid, I have a very candid question and I really hope this w- won't be <laughs> insulting to you, but how much money would it take to get you to create an entire new album of 8-bit chiptunes? <laughs> And we're talking Prague here, Tim. We're talking Prague oh. music because we could we could raise it. You know, we could we could mobilize the VGM fans out there, and we could make this thing Do happen. You know we could fund it in a day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the thing the thing is, I I would do it regardless anyway. To be honest, if if I, I, I've got. You know, more recently, you see, my my two kids now are kind of getting into this. Um, mm, really? Yeah, because they're um, um, my youngest is eleven, nicely now, and he's he's um, they're kind of both serious gamers, you know, more so than I was at that age, actually. Um, and then again, the gaming in scene didn't really exist when I was that age, but um, <laughs> it's it's they're probably into it and into music as well, and um, I'm. I don't know. I'm just wondering whether that's going to be my avenue back into it when my uh, youngest starts uh, composing himself. And uh, oh my so gosh, see how it goes. We might, might end up with a sort of collaboration album or something. Um, oh my god, a whole other generation of fallings. <laughs> this is insane. Oh, this is so exciting. <laughs> also, we'll, I, we'll make it happen. Well, the thing is, I would Tim fans. In a way, it's kind of I do miss it, you know. And I haven't done it for a long time. And I went through a long spell of thinking this is kind of something I've just that was in the past. I don't really want to go over this again. Mm. But you know, it's kind of one of those things. I think at the end of the day, I don't do anything if I don't think people are going to enjoy. It. You know, I'm genuinely motivated by the idea of making something that people can enjoy you know and get into something that's just yeah money doesn't really 
matter. You know, I'm not really sort of motivated, even though I don't have any. I'm not motivated by it particularly. Um, <laughs> and so, um, much to my wife's uh, <laughs> constant irritation. But, uh, you know, I'd like to look at it's just it's difficult to I would have to look at um, these music drivers now and see whether I could get my head around them to be honest because uh, yeah well we'll just we'll just have to keep bombarding you we'll just forward you every email <laughs> we get uh, asking for, for oh, this God. until until you finally agree to yeah. do it uh, you know and, and when you th- when I think about it I feel like no matter what the the kind of the endeavor is I feel like you've just proven yourself that you can do so many different things even if I think of something like your score to Starsky and Hutch which is one of the, maybe the last things you did yeah, was, uh, as a video game composer who would have thought that would have been something you were capable of doing this like really authentic 70s throwback funk stuff so yeah, yeah I, ju- I just feel like at this point you've you've just proven yourself and uh <laughs> if that ever if that project that we're talking about ever would have happened i i think it would be a smashing success well, I'll, 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 you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll try and wrap this game up, and maybe that's what I'll do next. I don't know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you heard it. it here first, folks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'll try. Wow. Well, Tim, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. This has been, uh, I, I, we mean Such it from the delight. bottom of our hearts, an absolute treat. Oh, no problem. And the last thing that we ever expected, I think both of us were like, oh, we could yeah. never get, you know, Tim Fallen to do an interview. It's like speaking with a legend. And so it's just really <laughs> been so insane for us. And more than anything, I feel like today was a public service to all those thousands of fallen heads out there. <laughs> around the world so to all the fans out there you're welcome (laughs) thanks again tim wow my mind was sufficiently blown and then blown again i i'm still kind of shaking from that experience like um it might be silly for someone who's not maybe not familiar with uh, the Fallens and, and really what they mean to video game music history, but uh, we know that we have so many Tim Fallen heads that are fans of our podcast. So any of you guys, you gotta you, you know gotta understand what it feels like right now for us. I can't believe we got that opportunity. We want to thank Tim so much for for your time. And how about that kind of joke idea at the end? But I feel like we should make that a reality. It sounds like he might be down for that uh, retro eight bit. Uh, album, You know, there's a lot of composers that are doing that kind of thing nowadays where they're going back to a, an art form that they were once known for. Like, how right. exciting would that be? Yeah, I I would be first in line to pick up something like that. I mean, he, he really is a treasure. Yeah, so guys, send us comment and email. Let us know if you, if you would be excited about that because, uh, I don't know, I feel like that would be what an awesome opportunity that would be. And we could, mm-hmm. you know, get it started on this podcast here. Uh, yeah. So what an awesome interview. It's so much to unpack there. Really got into a lot of, a lot of stuff, a lot of interesting information that I definitely never heard before. I bet no one listening to this podcast has heard some of that stuff before. It's really interesting to, to hear that he got his way into it through the programming, not so much the music and the music right. was kind of secondary and his brother Jeff was more interested in music. And so when you think about all of the technical implementation uh, in audio programming work that we love about the Fallons, you know, that that's all owed to Tim. And I think that's, uh, that's really interesting to know that. Yeah, it's interesting, though. I also do think there's such a um, a cohesive musical voice. Like, I think they really must have been on the same page in terms oh, yeah. of, 
you know, what genres they were into and well, their, it's interesting. their style. He's, he said for the most part, they didn't collaborate. So they were writing individual tracks. Jeff would, would give Tim a track and Tim would implement it and Tim would write a track and implement it. But yeah, you definitely can't hear that. Like when you listen to their scores, you can't really tell which, which one is which. Uh, and I think that's, that's, you know, doubly impressive. So, all right, guys, just trying to get back on earth after that. Yeah, I was, I was so much fun though. I mean, we, we had a blast and it, it came together so uh, quickly for us. It was yeah. the last thing that we were expecting. But I mean, the thing about I meeting or talking to a composer you really admire, it's not so much about meeting someone famous because, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I think even Tim was surprised to hear, you know, how much people really loved his music. Yeah. But it, it's not about like meeting a famous person. It's just like we've gushed and obsessed over his music for so many years. And even yeah. today listening to it, I can't believe, you know, this is made by the, the same man the person we, we talked to, to, talk to so humble and so kind of self-effacing about all of, well, that's another that thing that's so work that he amazing did. is the juxtaposition of his music, like the dichotomy of what kind of guy he is and how humble he is. Um, and just kind of a, a, a really laid back person. And then the music that he created, It's just incredible. All right, let's go back to the Commodore 64, and let's take a listen to a classic title. This is Gauntlet 3, title from the Commodore 64. Let's take a listen. You guys are listening to the title from Gauntlet 3 for the Commodore 64. Subtitle of this game was Gauntlet 3 The Final Quest. And this was one of the soundtracks uh, where Tim was assisted by his brother Jeff with some composition as well. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's really fascinating. All three of the Fallen's were at one point uh, working in video games. Their, their oldest brother was a programmer, uh, as Tim mentioned. Uh, he eventually left the industry. J- Jeff eventually left the industry. Uh, Tim stuck around the longest um, before kind of pivoting to, to some other uh, facets of media. Um, but yeah, I mean, some of my favorite soundtracks are these kind of classic late 80s, early 90s. I mean, that that this these 8-bit systems are definitely where the Fallen's were, in my opinion, just the most at home. Right. Well, it's also, we have to remember how young, you know, Tim was at this time. I mean, that's also like a crazy thing. You know, that confidence that we've been describing that I almost would imagine comes from someone a little bit older. Uh, But it's, yeah, that's just that amazing thing. And I, I, yeah, when I listen to this music, it just, it, 
it really is brilliant. I mean, the way that it's composed, the way that it transitions between sections, all the way that it utilized the technology, like the Fallen Brothers write for the chip in the way that a great classical composer writes for the orchestra or writes yeah. for a string quartet or woodwind quintet or any kind of ensemble, you know, it doesn't feel like it's a bastardized version of something in the real world. It doesn't feel like it's trying to be something it's not. It's like, you, you know, ugh. well, I, I'm really glad that you brought up the fact that he was so young and we have to kind of think about it and remind ourselves what that would be like. He was, I think about 20 years old. Uh, when he was working on this, uh, just as an example. And just imagine that, you know, right out of, for you, Will, you're graduating college uh, around the same age. Imagine you get this job, you, you know, have fun with it, you move on to other careers, and then 20 years later, people are judging that work and listening to that work and responding to it. It's got to be so surreal. Well, it's also so surreal because it's of the highest caliber. You know, it's not... I mean, I, I imagine there are lots of composers that are in his situation, but, you know, maybe they look back and hear a lot of mediocre music that they did, you know, back in the day. I mean, there's so much lukewarm video well, I mean, it music. Is, it is hard when you're listening to your own music that you wrote when you were 20. I mean, I'm sure it's hard for him and for anyone, but that's what's nice about us being objective listeners is we don't have that uh, that kind of awkward feeling about it. So for us... It's just it's just phenomenal music, and and where it came from, it feels like it makes it even more impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so let's play something from Time Tracks. We touched on this in the interview. This was something that Tim was really excited about and put a lot of work and energy into. I think he made his own driver for for the Mega Drive. Here, this game was canceled, which was very sad. But what's so great about the internet is eventually people got their hands on this ROM, and so now this music is available online, the actual VGM files. It's so good. It's some of the most impressive Genesis music I've ever heard. Let's take a listen to stages four and six from Time Tracks, composed by Tim Fallon. Thank you. 
another thing that really makes me smile um, trying to listen to his music in a different lens after that interview is the importance that he put on atmosphere. You can really hear that. That really was the most important thing for him uh, throughout his career was the sense of atmosphere that, that this music creates. It has such a vibe that you just want to reach out and grab and just close your eyes and be immersed in. Yeah, uh, It's so expressive and confident and doesn't feel like it's following some of the trends of other you know mega drive composers at the time it's 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 just music well yeah and i also um i think it's so interesting that um the musical influences for tim and his brother jeff are i think a little bit older than a lot of the other more contemporary musical influences of video game composers at the time you know so much video game music we talk about sounding like you know 80s rock 80s pop you know a little bit of jazz fusion and everything but this kind of progressive 70s rock sound really stands out amongst all that stuff but the other reason it stands out is because it's so much harder to achieve accurately with you know the tools available right and it's just it's such an incredible achievement i mean even on here on the mega drive it's like it (laughs) i'm hearing things that i've never heard on a genesis track before the kind of weird uh precise um note attacks on that kind of synth lead it makes it sound like keyboard synths where you're playing with the mod wheel and everything as it's going up like I could just imagine this in like a modern kind of keyboard centric kind of fusion band and it would just right. be right at home. I mean, I, I, that that's the crazy thing is w- when we were talking to Tim, he almost made it sound like, you know, oh, this was the stuff he did back when he was young. As, but it's not a lesser form of music because it's for games. Like it's every bit as musically interesting and sophisticated as anything else that is done with real instruments, yeah. any other kind of you know, progressive music like yeah, this. Yeah, the thing, the only difference is uh, there is more clarity because you have those limitations that forced you to kind of make some uh, maybe compromises at the start. But at the same time, you're writing for those limitations too. And so there's a sense of clarity that his music has. And I think if he would to be at the same time producing this music and he had, you know, any different instrument he could choose and he could record guitar and he could do all this other stuff, I... You know, I know for a fact that it wouldn't be as good, and he didn't even sound like he was interested in doing that. Right. And so part of those limitations, it kind of gets you started and gets your momentum going. Where, all right, this is what I have to work with. What can I do with it? I also think he just has a great instinct for dynamicism, both in terms of, you know, loud and soft, but right. changing things up. You know, it's like when we have this kind of section, now we want something different to contrast yeah. from it. He's and starting off with power chords, and then let's move to major seventh chords with pads. Right. And well, I kind of think so the, the Fallen Brothers, that, that kind of music is the most engaging through composed non-repeating music that I've ever heard you know because I mean so much video game music the reason why it's easy to listen to and the reason it's catchy is because it's about these simple melodies and simple forms that return a lot but so much of what Tim and his brother Jeff did is it's these long form pieces that maybe they loop after five minutes but you're engaged the entire time you don't really need it to loop and it's it's because of the brilliant way that they kind of structure 
capture the pieces going from you know this section to that section and always kind of fulfilling um you know the next desire or need well, yeah that and i think have. F- for that reason it seems like tim fallon almost created a subgenre of video game music which isn't about repetition isn't about a short catchy piece of music it's about atmosphere it's about this extended session of listening to this and taking you on a journey and when you finally get to that loop it really feels like you've been through so much and and it's yeah i just can't believe that this was happening you know in the early 90s it's the absolute pinnacle of making a machine sound like a man it's the absolute you know it's it brings the human touch to these computer systems and it sounds like solos it sounds like improvised playing it sounds like real people you know expressing themselves so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about one last piece of music this was from one of the very final soundtracks that tim fallon worked on it's starsky and hutch which came out for i think the ps2 era of consoles and this is a really cool throwback 70s funk score let's take a listen to a piece of music called stick around till one o'clock such a treat because although it sounds a lot more advanced and you're having real instruments and in some ways it feels like this new era of video game music and of Tim Fallon it still feels classic the the way that he's taking these solos some of the specific ornamentations and the overall vibe it's just classic Tim Fallon well, the kind of uh, very free modulating that it almost sounds like jazz music, the kind of yeah. um, wandering chord progressions, but they're so satisfying. It never feels like shocking or there's never an awkward chord change. There's never anything awkward in music. Well, my honestly. favorite thing about Tim Fallon's music is it's pulling so much from progressive rock, from in some ways fusion, jazz fusion, uh, and and electronic music but the the overall package that you get with his final product is so much more fun and accessible and exciting than honestly a lot of that uh inspirational music right that original music it's just like it has this tim fallen stamp on it which just is just always entertaining I agree, Carl, and I think uh, he's in good company. I mean, I think the best video game music, in my opinion, is able to create something that transcends or goes beyond the limitations of the technology, and I think beyond 
the musical influences. I mean, I think right. so much classic video game music, I think, is better than a lot of jazz fusion. I think is better than a lot of, you know, pop music from the 80s. Not it's all definitely, of it. But it's it definitely really, more engaging. It has the capacity to, to transcend... Um, and be something maybe a little bit more because you know it is for this different medium it has a different function and right especially with all of the early chip stuff it's a completely different character and a whole other aspect of of charm of hearing um kind of a computer do something musical that we associate with humanity and something more emotional i think there's an added level of, of charm and kind of a quaintness that really does contribute something to the right. music right I think all of us, you know, as fans of not just Tim Fallon or the Fallon Brothers, but video game music, I think we're so lucky uh, that Tim is still in some ways active in this industry. Um, and we were so incredibly lucky to get the opportunity to get to speak with him. I just really look forward to whatever he is able to do next in this industry, whatever creative magic he's able to to give us. Because what a unique mind, what a unique creative force. So thanks so much again, Tim, for taking the time to, to speak with us. And thanks for everybody for joining us for this episode. Um, we're probably going to post the interview on YouTube as well to try to get more people to hear it. Because I think this is a very exciting interview uh, from someone who is very beloved in, in the video game music scene, but hasn't done a lot of interviews to my knowledge. Yeah, this was such an absolute delight. So I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode and I hope you'll stick I know with I did. us <laughs> uh, for the next few episodes as we close out this season. What is it? Season 11? I don't know what it is anymore. I lost track and we kind of went out of order. Obviously, you know, we try to have these interview episodes for the season finale. We may be able to have another one lined up uh, for that one, which will give you guys two interview episodes. But this was too exciting to, to hold off any longer. Um, we, we just couldn't wait to post this episode. So uh, so that's kind of why why this one is, is coming out now. So what we're going to do, we're going to play you guys out with uh, title the title theme from Solstice, composed by Tim Fallon. And this is, uh, if you remember in the interview, he was mentioning he's basically using a classic Yes tune uh, as his foundation for this, which is so fun to hear. So we're going to play you guys out with Solstice. Anything else you got, Will? That's it. I think we should just all take a moment to raise our glass to the legendary Tim yes. Fallon. And Tim, if Cheers. you if you are listening to this, thank you so much for coming on the show. And we really hope that we were able to, in some small way, communicate uh, to you what an incredible artist we and so many thousands of people around the world really think you are and hope here, to here. get more music from you in the future. All right. Enjoy the title of Solstice. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. Have a great week, everybody. Peace out. Mm-hmm.